everyone. This is Will with another episode of Projections. So in the last two episodes, I talked about defamiliarizing some essential right-wing political categories that are being uh, right now destabilized and contested uh, at quite a large scale. So I've talked a bit about what inflation, households, and womanhood mean as elements of the popular far-right worldview, um, but as well as how they can be understood in other ways, uh, according to other political narratives. Um, and it's, it's really important that these worldviews, you know, nobody is reducible as a person to any narrative right like we're always trying to come up with multiple narratives and account for new things and you know blah 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 so like um i i just i i think that this is going to be important for today's topic uh which is about how the left relates to uh <laughs> the world or what it considers to be not the left right what what is it that is that is the left um so yeah, I've tried to really emphasize that these political and economic categories should be seen always as parts of a social narrative um, or a worldview rather than standalone categories with self-evident meanings. Um, so if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I would suggest doing that first uh, before continuing with this one. So okay, um, today I want to talk, uh, I want to continue that and reflect a little bit on why these topics need to be defamiliarized in the first place, and so why I'm talking about them. Uh, and I think a good window into that topic will be the recent uh, U.S. primary elections for the midterms, which went very... Uh, for progressives pretty well but from a particular quote-unquote left-wing perspective found in left media institutions like jacobin magazine and i use scare quotes around left-wing here not just as a dig although it is a little bit of that um but also because i think that the ambiguities of this kind of political mapping are really what's at issue here um, so anyway, from from the Jacobin perspective, uh, you could call it, we've apparently gone backwards to the years before Bernie when the left uh, doesn't exist, presumably. Um, and so as an example, I want to take a tweet that I think is like really emblematic of this from uh, Matt Karp, who's a historian and staff writer at Jacobin. Um, so Matt writes... Some good results last night, but is it just me or does it feel like we've moved back toward a pre-Bernie era that pits vague constellations of grab bag progressives against moderates and the stakes aren't all that different from Howard Dean versus John Kerry in 2004? So speaking as someone who's read similar arguments in Jacobin for many years, this is a very textbook marginalization of things that don't fit into a very particular conception of an antagonistic us versus them mass politics and class politics uh, and the prescriptive strategy of building 
self-governing sovereign organizations such as DSA that are supposed to collectively discipline and they use the word discipline a lot um, collectively discipline progressive elected officials to their will uh, which which sort of there's a slippage between that and the will of the working class right and and this becomes important because this worldview uh, treats the left as um, enlightened as to the the interests and strategy of the working class but also necessarily not the same thing as the working class uh, the working class is you know they're they're ideally they're reading jacobin but if they're not then they're consuming lower forms of media right of various um kinds of capitalist media consumption um and uh this episode is not about dsa uh but i will say that just like in the last episode when i talked about some of the ways that the conservative vision of these self-standing traditional households ignores a lot of the ways that households are actually part of a, a social fabric and and an infrastructure you know they they rely on public mediation public infrastructure public education but then also they participate alongside schools in public education right so like if you take a non-household point of view Households are infrastructure, or infrastructural for whatever your viewpoint is, right? Um, and the point is just that there's not a single base of society. You know, there's there's not an outside of being involved infrastructurally. Um, so anyway, just like households uh, have these kind of you know multiple uh, meanings you can read for um, DSA is also part of an infrastructure of progressive organizing efforts, even when Jacobin writers or people in that vein who are, you know, sort of um, commenting on intra-DSA politics treat it as a sovereign organization whose role is to bend elected officials to its will on behalf of the working class. You know, it remains that DSA is actually infrastructural and can't be can't be reduced to that necessarily you know which is why I think the organization I'm not I'm not trying to write it off or or critique it as a whole right I think that what we're seeing right now is other less uh you know less pessimistic but also just more inclusive and and comprehensive readings of where is their political action today are being opened up in in that organization and in in politics right now in general. So maybe mass politics will be another episode that I do. But um, for now, uh, I want to turn back to this tweet. So Matt Carp's tweet. It sounds especially odd to me because on civil rights issues, whether we're talking about uh, you know prison abolition or you know the the 2020 uprisings and blm before it more broadly also roe v wade also assaults on um on lgbt educators and lgbt people in general and charges that they are groomers right from the point of view of households as non-infrastructural um and again actually i know i said i wouldn't go back to dsa but it is interesting that 
um, in this kind of Jacobin uh, wing of DSA. They often call people um, in a similar vein to the groomer thing. They they say uh, you're a wrecker of the organization, like a home wrecker. Um, if you basically, that's just something that's used to kind of um, used as a cudgel to discipline people uh, who want to, you know, fill people's minds with all these bad, dangerous, divisive ideas. Um, but anyway, it's it's odd to me now because on all of these issues, progressives, right? What gets called the vague constellations of grab bag progressives. Um, they're actually, and also just Democratic Party voters, um, are, I think, better than, like, better on these issues, more principled, and have thought more and in deeper ways about civil rights and all of the kinds of political meanings that this that this has, right? Like, um, a lot more than people with a class reductionist worldview that trains them not to see it, right, and to arbitrarily bracket certain things as cultural politics rather than material politics right um which which from from my point of view and the point of view of those of us at money on the left is not a distinction that that really works at all um, because anything that is quote unquote material it has form Right? It's not just content. It has a form that can only be understood uh, with reference to some kind of a social meaning. Right, It s- serves particular people in a particular way. Like you can't, you know, there's not there's not just a universal, concrete, common denominator like air or something that you can reduce all politics to, and then and then start from that reductive point as your point for unity. Right. This is the this is kind of the Jacobin worldview and you can hear it in uh all across our catalog of superstructure episodes so i I won't harp on that too much because we've critiqued it a lot um but what this tweet communicates to me is that since progressives don't have a reductive overly simplistic view of everything they should be treated as less intellectually serious jacobin will often use the word coherent right um whereas i i think that i want to say like things do cohere i think even if you're continuing to open them up to multiple meanings right like you don't have to resolve whether uh whether a suburban voter is left wing or right wing right that's contextual um and and often they harbor different uh, social narratives and worldviews that will lead them to vote in different ways in different contexts, show up in the world in different ways in different contexts. The world can still cohere, <laughs> even if all of these people and institutions, you know, talking about DSA, talking about households, right? Even if they all harbor multiple meanings and multiple potentialities, right? Um, so I, I think that coherence is not always a fair word when it gets used that way because there's a lot of ways that something can be coherent i think that part of why this is such a such a silly look now um is it's very clear that whether it's democratic party voters or you know certainly republican party voters 
people are theorizing. They're engaged in serious political thinking, trying to figure out what's going on. People are watching live streams, they're listening to podcasts, they're phone banking, you know, they're doing all of these things that just because they don't choose to be under the compulsive discipline of some kind of, you know, mass organization or something doesn't mean that they're in some lower realm of, you know, media consumption and academics and magazine writers and intellectuals are online are in the world which includes being online which includes watching live streams what listening to podcasts reading you know popular articles you know and maybe sometimes yeah reading theory too but like all of this stuff is theorizing and i don't say this just to flatten everything or relativize it and say that you know the specificity of ideas doesn't matter or something like that but it's a multi-textural fabric of people who are figuring stuff out in all kinds of different ways and you have to approach it that way or else you're going to lose track of what's going on so in kind of a perverse way it makes me hopeful when i see a tweet like this because the statement is sort of like jacobin announcing that it sees itself and expects itself to be less relevant moving forward um, because the world is not uh, legible and doesn't map on cleanly to the Jacobin worldview, um, which is what, you know, returning to, to Howard Dean versus John Kerry in 2004 means, right? That's a code for the left doesn't exist. Um, and meanwhile, as we've been talking about the last two episodes, right, the left is everywhere that you look. Uh, you just have to branch out <laughs> from, from this kind of one-size-fits-all prescriptive solution. So the good news, as we've been saying, is the lane has never been more wide open for a civil rights candidate or a campaign uh, to, to garner very widespread support at a very large scale. And if, if people like you know Matt Carp or others at Jacobin want to write that off as vague or a constellation of, you know, grab bag progressives instead of something ideologically coherent. Um, and that means that they'll get out of the way and let and let other people who do see something in this moment that's worth developing and not condemning step into the moment and try to help figure things out. I think that that's a good thing. So, okay. Thank you. Uh, as always, if you are able to support us, um, our Patreon is MOL Superstructure. That's money on the left. Superstructure. Uh, and otherwise, um, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Tell me.